This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Hey there, theatre nerds. You are backstage with Mike Williams, and this week I'm flying solo without my trusty sidekick and best buddy Mel Martin, who's right now neck deep in final preparations for the opening of Heather's The Musical on stage at the Meteor in Hamilton this week. And if you're like us, you'll be very familiar with that feeling. You will know the workload that entails and have full sympathy for what she's doing. So I thought I'd let her concentrate on that and let me be your host for this week on Backstage. Anywho, if this is your first time checking us out, welcome, welcome and thrice welcome. We are based in Hamilton, New Zealand, and we're really into theatre in all its various forms. We have wide-ranging discussions on all sorts of theatrical and performance-related subjects, and we're always up for some new stuff as well. One of the regular features that we have is our Musical of the Week, which we signal with the opening piece of music we play for every episode. Today, you just might have recognised that I played the theme to Avenue Q. It's a show that I've never been lucky enough to see, but it's been on our hit list for quite some time as one to feature, so today I thought I would scratch that itch. More about Avenue Q coming up later in the show. Plus, I'm going to share something with you that just a week ago I really didn't know anything much about. It's a theatre genre which we in New Zealand are certainly not familiar with, but it's also flown very much under the radar in the United States for decades, which is where it comes from, strangely. It had its glory years from the late 50s through to the end of the 70s and was very, very big business. I'm talking about industrial musicals a special kind of full-on Broadway-style musical that the general public never got to see. Yet they often involved big budgets, created work for some huge names in the entertainment world, and even launched the careers of some younger performers. If you've already heard about these things, then you will know exactly what to expect when I come to it. But if you're a newbie to that kind of world, you are in for a very special treat. More on that a bit later. See, Kate, can I ask you a question? Sure. Well, you know Trekkie Monster upstairs? Uh-huh. Well, he's Trekkie Monster, and you're Kate Monster. Right. You're both monsters. Yeah. Are you two related? What? Princeton, I'm surprised at you. I find that racist. <gasps> well, I'm sorry. I was just asking. Well, it's a touchy subject. No, not all monsters are related. What are you trying to say, huh? That we all look the same to you? No, huh? no, huh? no, huh? no. Oh, not at all. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess that was a little racist. I should say so. You should be much more careful when you're talking about the sensitive subject of race. Well, look who's talking. What do you mean? What about that special monster school you told me about? What about it? Well, could someone like me go there? No, we don't want people like you. <laughs> you see? You're a little bit racist. Well, you're a little bit too. I guess we're both a little bit racist. Admitting it is not an easy thing to do. But I guess it's true. Between me and you, I think everyone's a little bit racist. Sometimes. Doesn't mean we go around committing hate crimes. Look around and you will find no one's really colorblind. Maybe it's a fact we all should face. 
one makes judgments based on race. No, not big judgments like who to hire or who to buy a newspaper from. No. No, just little judgments like thinking that Mexican busboys should learn to speak goddamn English. Right. Everyone's a little bit racist today. So everyone's a little bit racist. Okay. Ethnic jokes might be uncouth, but you laugh because they're based on truth. Stop me if you've heard this one. Okay. All right, there's a plane going down. Uh-huh. There's only one parachute, hmm. and there's a rabbi, a priest, and a black guy. Yeah. What you talking about, Kate? Uh. You were telling a black joke. Well, sure, Gary, but lots of people tell black jokes. I don't. Well, of course you don't. You're black. But I bet you tell Polak jokes, right? Well, sure I do. <laughs> Those stupid Polaks. <laughs> now, don't you think that's a little racist? <laughs> well, damn. I guess you're right. A little bit racist. Well, you're a little bit too. We're all a little bit racist. I think that I would have to agree with you. We're, We're glad, glad you do. do. It's sad but true. Everyone's a little bit racist. All right. All right. All right. All right. Bigotry has never been exclusively white. If we all could just admit that we are racist a little bit. Black man. Who? Jesus Christ. But Gary, Jesus was white. No, Jesus was black. No, Jesus was white. No, I'm pretty sure Jesus was black. Guys, guys. Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> hey, guys, what are you laughing about? Racism. Cool. Man, come back here. You'll take all these secular birds. What's that mean? Um... Recyclables. <laughs> hey, don't laugh at her. How many languages do you speak? Oh, come off it, Brian. Everyone's a little bit racist. I'm not. Oh, no. Nope. Huh. How many Oriental wives have you got? What? Brian! Brian, buddy, where you been? The term is Asian American. Too. Yeah, I know. The Jews have all the money and the whites have all the power. And I'm always in taxi cab with Lima who's no shower. Me too. Me too. I can't even get a taxi. Everyone's a little bit racist. It's true. This is Backstage, and that song was called Everyone's a Little Bit Racist. It's from our Musical of the Week this week, Avenue Q, and I will take you down that avenue a little later on. But now I want to turn to a different subject altogether. Taharoha Little Theatre is about to launch a production of Waiting for Godot, and it's a big undertaking for any theatre company to do that, but for a small theatre like Taharoha, it's possibly even more so. It's a prime example of what is often cited as uh, the theatre of the absurd, uh, written by Samuel Beckett. It was uh, premiered back in January of 1953. It's got legs. It's been around a long time. It has challenged some of the best actors in the business, including the likes of Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. So why pick a play like that for Tarawa? Let's go to the horse's mouth uh, and find the answers to that by inviting Les Munro, director of Waiting for Godot, into the programme. Les, thanks for joining us backstage today. 
tell me about this. Where, where did the germ of the idea come that Waiting for Godot was going to be a good choice as far as the Tauroha Little Theatre was concerned? The germ started with Kieran Warner, who is one of the leading actors. He has been looking at this play for some time and has always wanted to attempt it. Now, I've been looking at various plays, and I'm very interested in the theatre of, of, of the absurd. I like quirky things, and had always thought Waiting for Godot would have been a challenge. It certainly is, but it's great fun. When you say it's a challenge, uh, I think that's, a, that's really describing it rather lightly. It's a, <laughs> it's a play that's difficult not only for audiences to get a handle on often, but also for performers to get their heads around as well. When you look at a play like that, where do you start when it comes to planning out how you want to stage it? Well, Waiting for Godot and, and Samuel Beckett in particular is very well written. The writing is tight and the directions are very helpful. So in some ways, it's very straightforward. The difficulty comes in the language, which switches as normal conversation does and just goes silly in places until you realize that there's a lot of humor behind it. So it wasn't hard. It's um, a challenge, and um, it's, I've managed to get an extremely good cast together, which has made it a lot easier for me. In one sense, the form of the play, as you said, seems to leave quite a bit of room for artistic interpretation. But there can also be a little bit of a double-edged sword, can't it? Because if you maybe take your interpretation a little too far, you might be straying a bit from what Beckett was trying to achieve. Well, yes, the actors themselves can bring their own personalities into it, and um, they develop the relationship between each other. So that's where the interpretation lies. And um, we have looked at a lot of the versions that are available on YouTube and have taken some of the, what we consider to be, high dramatic points and tried to weave that in our production. So we hope people will find that meaningful and easy to understand and a great spectacle. Has it created a bit of a buzz in Tauraha, the fact that this is coming up? Yes, there is. People are very interested. The whole idea of waiting for Godot in itself develops controversy and uh, people say well what are they waiting for and these men are just simply waiting and it's a lot about the waiting which is a lot of everybody's lives often waiting for things which may or may not ever happen indeed it's like <laughs> waiting for lotto <laughs> <laughs> hey that's a really good analogy isn't it yes do you think audiences have to have a particular mindset to enjoy the play or do you think uh, newbies coming along for the one of their first experiences of theater will still be able to enjoy it and still be able to get into it i hope so and with the direction that i am trying to follow is to keep it moving and keep it uh, surprising so it will be entertaining even if a lot of the stuff goes past so fast that they don't get it. There's quite a bit of room for a bit of physicality in there too, isn't there, with the, uh, with the style of it? Sounds like you've read it. I have read it, and, and I'll be frank with you, Liz, I've, I've often struggled to get my head around just how it might be staged. It's one play I have never seen performed, not live anyway, oh, right. but I, I have seen excerpts on YouTube, and I mentioned Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen before, prime example of, of two men at the top of their game um, just bringing so much to those two roles but it, it's a big ask for any amateur uh, theatre company to take it on I reckon. I, I have to ask one thing which, and it's about the character of Lucky who uh, traditionally only has two sentences in the play, one of those famously though is over 700 words long and, and unpunctuated, have you kept that in? Absolutely yeah, high point of the whole play. I think so. And we're blessed to have Sandra Clark from Matter Matter has taken that role. So we're actually playing Lucky by a female. And uh, she is a very good dramatic actress. And she puts an awful lot into that particular sentence. A lot of people have sweated blood over it, though. Where do you start directing a speech <laughs> like that? How do you give direction on what you should do with it? I, you try and... Keep it moving and you pace it so that it has a cadence and a pace to it. And um, there's a lot going on around it. It's, it starts off, starts off mad and it starts off slowly and then it gets madder and faster until it reaches a climax, which people will have to come and see. That's really exciting. It's one of the big collapses on stage that really lends drama to the whole thing.
Now, I often say uh, that Taroha Little Theatre punches well above its weight. Over the years that I've been living back in the Waikato, I've come to see several productions there, and, and often I've been surprised by the nature of the kind of stuff that the um, the society has tackled and just how well you've been able to pull that off. In a community that size, it, you really seem to defy the odds often. Why do you think that is? Well, we have some very enthusiastic people, and... Um one of our leading lights was the director of the Ariwa Theatre, which is one of the biggest amateur theatres in New Zealand, and he has brought a lot of expertise to our small stage. We might be small, but we're adventurous, and we like to keep our audience on their toes and entertained. Do you think the audience expects that of you now? Oh, we've got a very strong base of, of fans who come to almost everything we do and they do expect a good, a good performance. The other thing about it is you're able to draw talent from a fairly wide area too. You mentioned Maramara and uh, your two principal actors for Waiting for Godot are both from Morrinsville. Yes, yes we do and um, we search for people who have talent and who are interested in the work that is involved. We're also trying to involve younger people because um, some of the stalwarts in our theatre are getting older and older and older, and you need the younger people to keep it going. So that's part of our mission, is to keep it alive, keep it young, and keep it moving. So what's next then, Les, as far as you're concerned as a director? Have you got anything else in your bucket list that you want to fling out there that would be <laughs> as interesting as this? If I survive the pace, I'm looking at doing um, uh, The Visit, which is um, a German play and uh, involves a huge cast and is a really serious drama. I hope to do that next year, but we've got another two plays coming up before then. Are you able to spill the beans on what those are? To, uh, that's, no, that's two more for this year, is it? <laughs> yes, two more. There'll be one um, end, of well, end of September and one just coming up Christmas. Pardon? You keep pumping them out there, don't you? Well, we've got a lot of keen directors and a very enthusiastic society. Taharoha shouldn't have something like Waiting for Godot, but I hope it goes well for you uh, in terms of uh, audience feedback and the uh, what they will get from it. Um, is there a take-home message that you want people to get from the play? Yes, this is a play which will entertain. It's very, very funny in a lot of places, so there's a lot to take from it. So that's at uh, Tauraha Little Theatre from June the 18th to the 26th. Bookings through the website tads, T-A-D-S dot org dot N-Z. Or if you want to go in person to Piaco Stationery, you can pick them up there. Les Munro, thanks for joining us backstage today. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. In a few minutes, I'll take you into the amazing world of industrial musicals. But first, here's another track from our Musical of the Week, Avenue Q. And this is called Schadenfreude. Right now you are down and out And feeling really crappy I'll see And when I see how sad you are It sort of makes me Happy Happy Sorry Nikki Human nature Nothing I can do It's schadenfreude Making me feel glad that I'm not not very nice, Gary. I didn't say it was nice, but everybody does it. Do you ever clap when a waitress falls and drops a tray of glasses? Yeah. And ain't it fun to watch figure skaters falling on their asses? Sure. Don't you feel all warm and cozy watching people out in the rain? You bet. That's schadenfreude. People taking pleasure Schadenfreude, huh? What's that, some kind of Nazi word? Yup, it's German for happiness at the misfortune of others. Happiness at the misfortune of others. That is German. Watching a vegetarian being told she just ate chicken. (laughs) Or watching a frat boy realize just what he put his dick in. Being on an elevator when somebody shouts, hold the door!
Brady students getting bees. X is getting STDs. Waking Dorman from their naps. Watching tourists reading maps. Football players getting tackled. CEOs getting shackled. Watching actors never reach the ending, ending of their Oscar speech. Schadenfreude. be us and that makes them feel great sure we provide a vital service to society you and me schadenfreude making the world a better place making the world a better place making the world a better place to be You are backstage with Mike Williams doing a solo turn this week since my buddy Mel is otherwise engaged. And now, as I promised, let me tell you about industrial musicals. What the heck are they anyway? That's what I hear you say, and I'm glad you virtually asked. I have to confess, I am something of a late starter when it comes to this subject. I had no idea that industrial musicals were even any kind of a thing, but I take some comfort from the knowledge that I am by no means alone with that. And it's only thanks to my friend and playwright April Phillips that I have had my eyes opened up. She had posted a link to a documentary from 2018 called Bathtubs Over Broadway, which is streaming on Netflix, by the way, and I recommend you check that out. It tracks the history of these remarkable productions, where they came from, who was involved, and what happened to them. The doco was made by one of David Letterman's head comedy writers, a guy called Steve Young, who came across albums of these things when he was looking for some oddball stuff to poke fun at on The Letterman Show. He became actually quite intrigued by the concept, as much as he wanted to make fun of them, and he was prepared to laugh at the idea, but he also found himself fascinated when he saw from the album covers that these were not, by any means, small-scale things, and in fact, they often boasted some pretty big names in their credits. He wanted to know more and spent the next 20 years or so finding out all he could about these sometimes lavish productions that most people never knew about. Eventually, that led to a book which was called Everything's Coming Up Profits, and ultimately, it led to him making the documentary that I referred to before. Let's go back in history then. Way back when American industry ruled the earth, business and Broadway had a baby, and this mutant offspring was glimpsed only at conventions and sales meetings, and it was called the Industrial Musical. So think of a Broadway show, except the audience is made up totally of managers and sales staff. And the songs are all about how great it is to be working for the company. This was a genre of fully produced Broadway-style musicals written for such brands as General Electric, McDonald's, Ford, DuPont, Xerox, Whirlpool, and many, many more. The public at large didn't know about these things, but industrials were certainly no secret to the people who had the privilege of working on them. As an example, Hal Linden landed the starring role in the 1970s television series Barney Miller, but he got his big break in the saga of the Dingbat, a 1965 musical produced by the New York Herald Tribune. He also appeared in Diesel Dazzle, which uh, General Motors' diesel engine division presented for their staff back in 1966. They were a boon for actors, according to Lyndon. He said, The reason that I never drove a cab and I never waited on tables. And for every big-budget musical with its souvenir recording, there were hundreds of lesser productions as well. In many a hotel conference room, two or three singers would belt out parodies of popular songs, but with company lyrics, to a piano accompaniment. Pat Stanton, a Chicago-based singer who performed in many industrials in the 1960s and 70s, said they were written to keep the audiences awake during all the speeches. She said, we started at eight in the morning, singing and dancing, and then we'd come out and do a skit or a skit and a song and a dance. We were interspersed throughout the meeting. Big budget or no budget, the industrials shared common goals to lift morale and energise the sales force. 
hit him hard, hit him often, hit him right between the eyes. That's a line from the 1957 Westinghouse musical The Shape of Tomorrow, and that really captures the spirit of what the industrial musicals were all about. Now, for the performers, the pay was really good. In 1963, the minimum salary on Broadway was $117.50 a week. Industrials, though, paid $199.30 a week for shows running two weeks or more, or a daily rate of $76.60 for the first day and $51.10 for each additional day. Sometimes the budgets for the shows themselves were eye-watering. Here's an example. The 1956 Chevy show cost $3 million dollars. Compare that to My Fair Lady, a big Broadway show that opened that same year with a budget that came in under half a million. Now, naturally, the big budgets attracted top-draw talent, too. Go Fly a Kite, which was a utility executives conference held by General Electric, was written by John Kander and Fred Ebb, and you should recognise those names if you know the shows Cabaret and Chicago. Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Bock wrote Fordify Your Future for the Tractor and Implement division of Ford, as well as the songs for Fiorello and Fiddler on the Roof. Bob Fosse, internationally recognised and applauded choreographer, was already at work on the Pajama Game when he toured with The Mighty O, a 1953 Oldsmobile show. As you can imagine, with the bigger budgets, the production values were very high indeed. Lavish sets, big stages, all singing, all dancing, razzmatazz with full orchestration and dazzling lights and effects. All for what would in the majority of cases often be just a one-night event. Because of their very nature, most industrials came and went, leaving no trace. Only a small percentage actually spawned albums, making them quite rare. They were produced in very small numbers, only for the attendees, most of whom went home with them and threw them in the bin. That's why if you happen to come across one of those LPs, it's usually in mint condition, because nobody ever listened to them. And even fewer of those productions survived by being filmed. Yes, this is pre-videotape days, for archive purposes. The annual shows presented by the Millican Textile Company between 1956 and 1980 at the Waldorf Astoria never made it to vinyl, despite their roster of big-name stars. By 1975, headliners included the likes of Juliet Prowse, Tommy Tune, and Dom DeLuise. Cheetah Rivera did many of the Millican shows, and Sarah Jessica Parker appeared in the 1976 version. In other productions, you could catch cameos from people who were already household names, like Tony Randall, for example. And there were those who would become better known as well, such as Florence Henderson, Bob Newhart, Martin Short. But there were a great many, like Pat Stanton, someone you may never have heard of, who never got their big break on Broadway, but did pretty well out of industrials. At that time, an actor could make a year's living doing just four industrial shows. Also, while top talent could use the industrials for a quick payday, less well-known talent got the chance to spread their wings and do some bigger roles. Back to Hal Linden, he says a lot of these kids were gypsies in the chorus, but in an industrial, they might get the lead so they could work on their craft. He said, I got to sing a big love ballad. Of course, I was singing to a car. Well, that beats singing to a toilet, as Pat Stanton did on the cast recording of The Bathrooms Are Coming, which was a 1969 musical produced by American Standard. Its showstopper is a plaintive ballad called My Bathroom, and that's become a cult favourite, actually, on fringe radio. By the late 1970s, the industrials were in decline, done in by changing tastes, new technology and a tough economy, and by the end of the decade they had all but disappeared completely. The Millican Textile Company was one of the very last companies to mount such an event in 1980. The musicals had done their dash, and just about disappeared without a trace. For a large number of jobbing performers, what had been a pretty sweet gig dissolved into nothing. Such is life in showbiz. You can find the complete soundtrack for Bathtubs Over Broadway on YouTube, and it does make fascinating listening, and also fascinating viewing if you catch it on Netflix. I believe there's also at least one Spotify playlist of a ton of songs from these shows as well, so maybe you could be interested in some exploration there. But I will leave you on this subject with the song that I mentioned just a little while ago, though, starring Pat Stanton. This is My Bathroom is a Private Kind of Place. My bathroom, my bathroom 
is a private kind of place Very special kind of place The only place where I can stay Making faces at my face My bathroom My bathroom Is my very special room Where I crimp and fuss and groom Where I can get away from all And really feel in bloom I'm free Bathrooms are coming. My bathroom is a private kind of place. And no, they certainly do not write them like that anymore. You are backstage with Mike and we will stroll down Avenue Q in a moment. But first, let's check out what is on the calendar and coming up soonish. At the Meteor, Heather's the Musical, presented by Black Box Creative, opens at the end of the week, June the 4th, running through to the 12th. Clarence Street Theatre, Hamilton Operatic Society are rehearsing for Chicago. That's getting closer to opening June 25th. Riverley Theatre has Hamilton's Playbox Theatre with Move Over Mrs. Markham opening June the 12th. Navarra Lounge in Hamilton has a huge range of theme nights, special guests and more. Check out their Facebook page if you want to keep up to date with everything that Ivan has in his diary. Te Aroha Little Theatre has Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot starting its season on June the 18th. Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, I'm directing duets, and that opens on June the 12th. Matamata Dramatic Society has Laughter is the Best Medicine. It's a review featuring comic sketches and short plays, opening on June 23rd. Thames Music and Drama are in rehearsal at the moment for Peter Pan and the Medallion's Secret. That's on stage in July. Tauranga Musical Theatre have started rehearsals for Les Miserables. That's coming up on stage in September. 16th Avenue Theatre in Tauranga have uh, Neighbourhood Watch coming up by Alan Akeborn. That's going to stage in July. And Detour Theatre are in rehearsal for How to Train Your Husband, the latest effort by Devin Williamson. That's opening later this month. And on Auckland, In the Big Smoke, The Life of Galileo by Bertolt Brecht, translated by David Hare, is on stage this month. And as far as auditions go, Riverley Theatre has auditions in July for the Christmas show Back to the 80s. Keep an eye on the Riverley Theatre Facebook page for more information. And as we always say, 
please get in touch if you want to add something to that list. Just send an email to backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. However you can get in touch with us, we will respond. Okay then, kiddies, buckle in for our musical of the week, the unique and amazing Avenue Q. Avenue Q is a musical comedy featuring puppets and human actors with music and lyrics by Robert Lopez and Jeff Marks and book by Jeff Whitty. The show won Best Musical, Book and Score at the 2004 Tony Awards. It's also been praised for its approach to themes of racism, homosexuality and internet pornography. The musical premiered off-Broadway in 2003 at the Vineyard Theatre, co-produced by the Vineyard Theatre and The New Group, and in July of that same year, it moved into the John Golden Theatre on Broadway, where it ran through until 2009, playing for a total of over 2,500 performances. It then transferred to the off-Broadway New World stages, where it played for another 10 years. Major productions have been staged in Las Vegas and the West End, and the musical has also been staged and tours in several countries around the world. A school-friendly script has also been produced. Avenue Q's cast consists of three human characters and 11 puppet characters who interact as if human in the same style as Sesame Street, and that's no coincidence. The puppet and human characters ignore the puppeteers, creating the illusion that the puppets are alive. To assist with that illusion, the puppeteers wear plain grey clothing in contrast to the humans' characters' very colourful costumes. The same puppet may be operated by different puppeteers in different scenes, and the act of voicing the puppet may not always be the one who's doing the animation. And one puppeteer sometimes voices two or more puppets simultaneously. Conversely, the so-called live hands puppets require two puppeteers, and again, in full view of the audience. I'll go over the whole puppetry side of things very shortly. Jeff Marks interned at Sesame Street early in his career, and obviously that had a big influence on him. And all four of the original cast's principal puppeteers, John Tartaglia, Stephanie D'Abruzzo, Jennifer Barnhart and Rick Lyon, were Sesame Street performers. D'Abruzzo actually returned to Sesame Street after leaving Avenue Q, in fact. Three of the puppet characters are directly recognisable parodies of Sesame Street puppets, the roommates Rod and Nicky, for example, are a direct riff on Bert and Ernie, while Tricky Monster bears the distinctive voice and disposition of Cookie Monster, although not his same obsession for baked goods. The production officially disclaims any connection with either Sesame Workshop or the Jim Henson Company. All of the characters, whether they're puppets or humans, are young adults who face real-world problems with uncertain solutions – as opposed to the more simplistic problems and invariably happy resolutions that are encountered by characters on children's television programming, such as Sesame Street. Much of the Avenue Q's ironic humour emerges from its contrasts with Sesame Street, including the differences between innocent childhood experiences and complex adulthood. The storyline presupposes the existence of monsters and talking animals, and human actors sing, dance, and interact with puppets, both human and non-human, as if they were sentient beings in a light-hearted, quasi-fantasy environment. However, the characters do use a considerable amount of profanity, and puppet nudity and sex are portrayed as well. The show addresses adult topics, for sure, such as racism, pornography, homosexuality, and schadenfreude. I don't want to spend too long talking about the plot because it's pretty much stitching together some scenarios in order to explore the subject matter in ways I've mentioned as an adult take on a kid's entertainment device. But I'll give you the once-over description. Avenue Q tells the timeless story of a recent college graduate trying to find his way in the world. Set in New York City, all the way out on Avenue Q because he couldn't afford anything better, we meet fresh-faced Princeton as he struggles to find his purpose meeting friends, finding love, losing love, and finding it again along the way. It's about real life. It's about finding a job, losing a job, learning about racism, getting an apartment, getting kicked out of your apartment, being different, falling in love, promiscuity, avoiding commitment, hangovers, internet porn, and discovering the world. Is that enough? I think so. As you can tell from the long run the show has had, it has been a huge hit. And an award winner, too, I mentioned. In 2004, Avenue Q picked up Tony's for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, and Best Score. 
performers Stephanie D'Abruzzo and John Tartaglia also won Theatre World Awards for that same year. But now I want to talk about the puppets. The Avenue Q puppets, which cost up to $10,000 each and require up to 120 hours of hand fabrication per character, were designed and built by one of the original cast members, Rick Lyon. Lyon's company, the Lyon Puppets, built and maintained the puppets used in all of the North American productions and several of the international ones as well, including those from the UK, Australia, Mexico, Argentina and Brazil, while supervising the construction of those for the Finnish and Swedish productions. Their unusually sturdy construction with double-stitching, reinforced seams, steel boning and custom fake fur and feathers is necessitated by the rigours of eight shows per week performance schedule and the need for these things to last. There are three distinct types of puppets that are used in the show, all of them very familiar in their design to the Jim Henson style of puppets. To start with, there are rod puppets, and these consist of a head and a torso with two arms, at least one of which is movable for gestures. So they have one movable arm controlled by one rod, with the other arm normally posed in a permanent gesture or attached to the puppet's torso. But both arms can be movable if you have double rod puppets. Each of those are controlled by a separate rod. And the puppeteer can control the puppet's head and mouth with his or her dominant hand and hold one or both rods in the other hand. Then you have live hands puppets. These require two puppeteers, each of whom contributes one hand and arm, dressed with a long sleeve and a glove that match the puppet's costume, which become the arms and the hands of the puppet itself. The speaking puppeteer controls the puppet's left hand, head and mouth, while the second silent operator controls the right hand, although sometimes this is reversed if the speaking puppeteer happens to be left-handed. During the show, one puppeteer will sometimes exit to take over another puppet, leaving the live hands puppet with a single operator and only one functioning hand. In a variation on this, one or both of the puppet's hands can be attached to its torso to permit operation by a single puppeteer. Then finally we have the mechanised and free hand puppets. Mechanised puppets are not directly controlled by the puppeteer's hands, but instead they're controlled by a concealed trigger that when pulled causes the mouth to open. And the motion is very similar to a toy grabber and also a fairly common device for ventriloquist dummies. Freehand puppets don't have rods, mechanisms or live hands for their arms. While their head controls are the same as for a rod puppet, the hands are moved by physically picking them up and moving them. Okay, so how was Avenue Q received? Critically, people were over the moon, pretty much. It received nearly unanimous favourable reviews, both nationally and internationally. Here are some quotes. The New York Times theatre critic, Ben Brantley called it a savvy, sassy and eminently likeable breakthrough musical and compared its potential long-term influence to West Side Story and The King and I. That's a big call. The New Yorker described it as an ingenious combination of the real world and Sesame Street. The Times said it was how friends might be if it had Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy arguing about their one-night stand, but with more angst, expletives and full-on puppet sex. Avenue Q made Entertainment Weekly's 2010 End of the Decade Best Of list. They said, This 2003 smash musical is Sesame Street for grown-ups, with filthy-minded puppets who teach useful lessons like the internet is for porn. Somewhere, Big Bird is molting. Help the homeless? Uh, help the homeless? Oh, hey Princeton, give me a quarter. Here in my hat. Come on, Princeton. It's as easy as that. Helping others brings you closer to God. So give me a quarter. Oh, I don't have any change. Hmm. Okay. Give me a dollar. That's not what I meant. Give me a five. Are you kidding? The more you give, the more you get. That's being alive. All I'm asking you is to do Jesus Christ would do He'd give me a quarter Why don't you Alright, alright, here you go Ah, oh, thanks Take care Whoa What's the matter? I feel generous I feel compassionate You do? Yeah Yeah, I feel like a new person A good person Helping other people out makes you feel fantastic well, That's what I've been trying to tell you All this time I've been running around thinking of me, me, me But where has it gotten me? 
I'm gonna do something for someone else. Me? No, Kate. I'm gonna raise the money to build that stupid monster school she's always talking about. <laughs> Give me your money. What? I need it for Kate. I need it to eat. Come on, Nicky. Oh, get lost. It'll make you feel great. So would a burger. When her dream comes true, it'll all be partly thanks to you. So give me your money. I'd like to, but I can't. Give me your money. I'd like to, but I need it. Give me your money. I'd like to, but I'm homeless. I can't. I need it. I'm homeless. I can't. I need it. I'm homeless. I can't. I need it. I'm homeless. I can't. Okay, here you go. Thank you. <clears throat> Suddenly... I am feeling closer to God. It's time to stop begging. It's time to start giving. What can I give to Rod? Something he'll like so much, he'll take me back. Woo, I know. I'll find him a boyfriend. That's the spirit. Ha! Ha! When you help others, you can't help helping yourself. Yeah. When you help others, you can't help helping yourself. We're collecting money. Oh, it's for Kate. We're raising money to help build her dream school. Huh. Give us your money. You'll be glad that you did. That's just what my parents told me when I was a kid. Shit. But giving feels so great. And I bet it wouldn't hurt your chances with Kate. Well, that too. I'll give you a dollar. You're a gentleman and a scholar. We so happy. We just exchange all your wedding gifts for cash. Honey, don't tell them that. We get about 2,000 bucks. Um, yeah, so thanks, everybody. We rich. Give us your money. Give us your money. Raising goddamn money. Give us the dough. Give us the dough. We're raising money for a monster school, but we got a ways to go. Sounds like you've got money to burn, and it's not like money that you had to earn. So, so give, give us, us your money. money. A monster school? Sounds like a good cause. Give me your wallet. Oh my gosh, I don't know how to thank you guys. I mean, Kate will be so grateful. That kind of money is such a great start. Yeah, $15. Yeah, $15? Every little bit help. Looks like we're going to have to ask more people. Hey, give us your money. All that you got. Just fork it on over. Or some puppets will get shot. Give us your money. Give us your money. Give us your money. When you help others, you can't help helping yourself. When you help others, you can't help helping yourself. Every time you do good deeds, you're also serving your own needs. When you help was The Money Song and it's from Avenue Q, our musical of the week the original Broadway cast soundtrack. Get in touch with Creative Waikato if you or your arts project could use their assistance and don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a ton of other places as well now. Head on over to Instagram as well and find Backstage Podcast NZ where Mel will be sharing today's episode a bit later, plus our musical of the week on our story. I've been Mike and you have been Backstage once again. Thank you so much for tuning in. We do appreciate it. I'm going to check out today with I'm Not Wearing Underwear Today from our musical of the week, Avenue Q. Stay classy and see ya. I'm not wearing underwear today. No, I'm not wearing underwear today. That you probably care much about my underwear Still, nonetheless, I gotta say That I'm not wearing underwear today Get a job! Thank you! Honey, 
Why does everything have to be so hard? Maybe you'll never find your purpose. Lots of people don't. But then I don't even know why I'm alive. Well, who does, really? Everyone's a little bit unsatisfied. Everyone goes round a little empty inside. Take a breath, look around, swallow your pride. For now, for now, nothing lasts. Life goes on, full of surprises. You'll be faced with problems of all shapes and sizes. You're going to have to make a few compromises. For now, for now. Accept the things we cannot avoid for now. For now. For now. For now. But only for now. For now. Only for now. For now. Only for now. For now. Only for now. Only for now. There's life. Only for now. There's love. Only for now. There's work. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.